recently attended a cross-party group meeting on beer and pubs to celebrate the growing number of breweries in Wales and the contribution pubs make to local communities' economies. The Priscilla Pembrokeshire Assembly member highlighted how many pubs across the county showcase food and drink, which is, more often than not, sourced locally in the area, providing visitors with an opportunity to get a real taste of what the county has to offer, whilst also being community hubs and centres in some cases, they doubling up as libraries, even post offices, operating from there. Twelve Pembrokeshire eateries feature in the latest edition of the AA's Restaurant Guide for 2020, including Andrew and Mandy Sterling of Wolf Castle Country Spa Hotel and Restaurant, and Trefloin Manor and Trefloin Manor and Golf Club near Tenby. Councillor Mel Phillips updated Pembroke Town Councillors of a constant stench coming from the Pembroke Mill Pond, which Town Clerk Susie Thomas explained that the water level in the pond had been dropped so that Pembrokeshire County Council could carry out works on the sluice gate. For the pond to be refilled, the options were to wait for it to refill with rainwater or with tidal water, but there were issues with the latter option. Councillor Dennis Evans said the Town Council had spent a great deal of time trying to work out who owned the pond, and the County Council had lowered the water without speaking to anyone, and while the Council had agreed to return the pond to tidal, they subsequently found they did not have the necessary power to do so. A further meeting of the Pembroke Town Council to discuss the matter would be needed, the Mayor informed councillors. The Haverford West Over the Moon and Light Lantern Parade takes place on Thursday the 31st of October, celebrating space and the night sky, marking 50 years since the first moon landing. The parade will start at the Castle Square at 7pm and make its way through the streets of the town to Haverford West Castle, with a bicycle-powered cinema featuring short films to celebrate the moon, the stars and the autumnal dark sky will be shown. David Powers Police have confirmed the body found at a derelict building in Pembroke Dock last Thursday, 24 hours after she was reported missing, is that of teenager Kiana Patton. The 16-year-old's death being registered with Her Majesty's Coroner as unexplained. A Halloween run of terror will take place on Friday the 1st of November between 5pm and 9pm. Starting from Manila's Cafe on Naila Marina, the Halloween fun begins with a children's run at 6pm, followed by the 5k run of terror at 6.30pm. Further details are available from organisers, Nayland Town Councillor Johnny Sutton or Anna Busby of Manila's Cafe. With Christmas now just nine Fridays away, Saundersfoot Footlights have begun rehearsals for the family favourite pantomime, Jack and the Beanstalk, scripted by Peter Rowe with Clive Raymond as musical director. It'll mean an expected sellout of the performances in the village's Regency Hall, which start on Monday December the 2nd to Friday December the 6th, all at 7.30pm with a matinee on Saturday, December the 7th at 2pm. Tickets are available online now for www.saundersfootamdram.co.uk at £8 for the Monday performance and £10 for the rest of the week. With your local sports, I'm Harry Twig. Kiru cricketer Tom Davis, the most recent recipient of the Pembroke County Cricket Club George Cole Trophy, has put pen to paper to sign for South Wales Premier League Carmarthen Wanderers for the 2020 season. A county side regular over the past few seasons, he topped the batting averages last season and came second in the bowling averages, the Tenby teacher joining a raft of talented Pembrokeshire cricketers, plying their trade at the highest levels in Wales. Top order batsman Steve Inwood and his Langham teammate, all-rounder Steve Mills, were joined last season by former Whitland cricketer Jessen Skirfield, alongside veteran left-arm bowler Ian Hughes, formerly of Narbuth. The Pembrokeshire Jacks were in full voice on Sunday after Swansea City won the South Wales Derby 1-0 over Cardiff City at the Liberty Stadium. And post-match, I asked manager Steve Cooper was he delighted with the result and his tactics. More than good for the, for the result. 
But so to uh, to do it with um, a performance like that, one that we'd planned for, is uh, is pleasing. But when the game did settle and we were allowed to play, I thought we were we were the team that we want to be. You know, we were we were creative. We played through the lines. We created numerous chances. Maybe slightly slightly disappointed we've not won by two or three. Um, but uh, but we'll take the one 0 That's for sure. I'm Jonathan Twig, and you're up to date with all your latest Pembrokeshire news on Pure West Radio. This is Pure West Radio, for Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire. There you go, you see? That's one of the important things about is never to run over a black cat on Halloween. Uh, right. That just reminded me of the cats outside my door at nights anyway. So. Mm, well, there we are. <laughs> we're anyway, back. We're back. yeah, we're back. Uh, yes. Welcome to the West Files. We've been talking about what is a ghost, and then we yes. got, and we found out that you people try to shoot ghosts. Yes, with blunderbusses. <clears throat> with blunderbuss. <laughs> yes. Is that a word, blunderbusses? Is, is that it, the plural? Um, blunderbuss I. Blunderbuss. Yeah, blunderbuss. Blunderbusses is. is, is. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so do you want to hear about the most haunted house in the I world? I would love to hear about it because you've kept this one secret from me because you normally you tell me but you haven't told well, me this one. Well, this on. is the story of what I would define as in the most haunted house in the world. It's a place called Borley Rectory. That's Essex. It's in Essex, that's I right. That it's certainly one of... I mean, it might not be the most haunted house in the world. It's certainly the most well-known and absolutely the most comprehensively investigated location ever. It was known to be haunted even before Borley Rectory. The rectory was built and has continued to be a place that's right at the top of the bucket list Mm. for all ghost hunters. And the building, it caught fire, it burnt down in 1940 and Mm. was eventually demolished in 1944. But, of course, the ghosts and the tales that uh, surround the site have endured. And perhaps even today they still continue to haunt the site. The range of phenomena that have been experienced at Borley Rectory includes, and but is not limited to, almost every type of manifestation that we consider when we think about haunted houses. Really? Apparitions, objects being thrown, doors mysteriously opening or locking themselves shut, cold spots, strange lights, phantom carriages pulled by phantom horses, Whoa. some described in its headless horses <laughs> people being attacked there was writing appearing on the walls footsteps in empty corridors and disembodied voices all in one place Borley has them all more than 10,000 separate incidents have been documented at the location over the past 100 years now for 20 of those years it was investigated by a hero of mine <coughs> who was arguably the world's greatest ghost hunter a uh, gentleman by the name of Harry Price. And he even went as far uh, as to take lease of the building for an entire year and put it under around-the-clock observation by a team of trained investigators. 
<clears throat> as I said before, Borley was destroyed in 1938 by fire. But right up to the present day, the area surrounding the former rectory, together with the church just over the road from it, still challenges modern ghost investigators. Now let's go a little bit of history for you. Mm. During 1862, while the Civil War raged across America, uh, in England, in the quiet and uh, secluded hamlet of Borley, just as you said in yeah. Essex, a new rectory was being built by the Reverend Henry Dawson Bull to house his young and growing family. The house was reputedly built upon the site of a former convent, and although this was later disproved, it is certainly the case that an earlier rectory had existed on the site, oh. but that itself had burnt down in 1841 under unusual circumstances. Ooh. Now, there were already stories of ghosts and ghostly sightings at the site circulating around the district <coughs> long before Bull built the rectory, and tales of ghostly monks and the phantom carriages being pulled by the headless horsemen. And almost immediately after it was finished, the new rectory and the surrounding area began to gain an even spookier reputation for the numerous ghosts that haunted its rooms and hallways or walked and stood in its grounds. Those who visited or who worked at the rectory told tales of their unusual, sometimes terrifying experiences. And it was not uncommon for maids or servants to suddenly leave their posts and refuse to return. The most common of all of the spectres at Borley <coughs> was the silent and mournful apparition of a nun who stalked the gardens. The ghostly nun was often to be seen in the twilight of dawn or dusk, gliding silently along, taking the same route through the garden each time. At other times she would be observed standing motionless in the driveway, leaning on the gate and staring mournfully out across the fields towards the nearby church. But perhaps the nun has become best known for her habit of staring in through the windows of the rectory, silently watching the family as they sat to eat. Oh my this particularly disconcerting action ultimately resulted in the Reverend Henry Bull actually bricking up the dining room window. Really? In order to prevent the phantom nun from disturbing the family whilst they ate and from frightening the servants. Oh, yeah. <coughs> in fact, so common were her appearances said to be that the Reverend Bull even built himself a summer house in the garden where he would sit in the evening smoking a pipe, trying to catch a glimpse of her, often spending hours outside, sitting alone, waiting for it to appear. The other, as I mentioned earlier, was the frequently reported phantom of a coach pulled by black horses, seen after dark, speeding wildly up the lane towards the rectory before stopping outside the door and vanishing. What? Several versions of the story circulated through the district, some of them described encounters where either the horse or the coachman, or sometimes both, <coughs> were described as being headless. And although Borley was known locally as a place where ghosts walked and where most of the people living nearby took pains to avoid after dark, the first modern account of the paranormal activity at the place takes place in 1885. In the summer of that year, the respected scholar and author Percy Shaw Jeffrey was staying at the rectory as a guest of the Ball family. And immediately following his visit, he reported witnessing stone throwing and other poltergeist activity. A bit like an episode of Most Haunted, really. <laughs> Whilst he stayed there, he also stated that he had seen the nun for himself on several occasions. And during his visit, a French dictionary went missing. And the following night, it was flung seemingly out of thin air, landing on the floor in the middle of his room. Whoa. So some music. And we'll continue oh. after the music. Oh. 
lap there. We use Ghosts by Japan. Mm, we should have had the lights down low for that one. Shh, we've, they, it's radio. Oh, we can, yeah. we we can pretend. On. We can pretend. Yeah. yeah. Ronnie's sitting here stark naked in a thong. Anyway, continuing. He's looking um, at the wrong woman. I'm yeah. not wearing one. <laughs> She's gone commando. <laughs> <coughs> after Ren- <coughs> after uh, Henry Bull died in 1892, the rectory then passed to his son, the Reverend Harry Bull. Yeah, Bawley Rectory, obviously. We Bawley Rectory, that's right. Re- re- yes. Well, you can always rewind that bit of the podcast, yeah, can't they? Yeah. Now, Harry had also been baptised as Henry. Oh, right. But it was always known as Harry, to avoid confusion with his father. Harry lived at the rectory his entire life with his sisters until he died in 1928. And whilst he was the rector uh, of Borley, so for nearly 30 years, he also described many encounters of his own with the apparitions that haunted the rectory. He claimed to have seen the nun on countless occasions, like his father before him, and he also spent many hours sitting in the summer house watching and waiting for the nun. Now, both father and son passed away in the same room on the first floor overlooking the garden. Oh. A room that has always become known as the Blue Room because it was painted blue. Ah. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> after Har- uh, Harry's death in 1928, Borley Rectory lay vacant. The sisters decided to move away to live in a smaller, more comfortable property, and it seemed that nobody was in any hurry to become the new rector or wanted to move into the rectory. After all, it was large, it was poorly maintained, and it lacked many of the amenities such as running water, and electricity. It was cold in the winter, and of course, it had a fearsome reputation for being haunted. Mm. But eventually, after almost a year, a new rector was appointed, and Borley Rectory was once again reoccupied. The new rector was the Reverend Guy Eric Smith, and it was actually a cousin of the Bull family, and had recently arrived in Britain from Canada with his lovely young wife Mabel. Oh dear. <clears throat> However, shortly after they arrived in 1928. Uh, his wife discovered a small parcel wrapped in brown paper whilst clearing out some of the cupboards. And when she opened it, she found out it contained a human skull. Oh, my God. Probably belonging to a young woman. But on Smith's orders, the skull was buried without ceremony in the churchyard by the gardener. <laughs> now, <clears throat> we talked about Harry Price before. And by the latter half of the 1920s, Harry Price was already established as Britain's foremost psychical researcher and ghost hunter originally he was an engineer and he was also a highly skilled magician and from a very early age he'd become interested in investigating claims of mediumship and of ghostly encounters Mm. and in 1925 he actually established his own national laboratory for psychical research and this laboratory contained the most well-equipped and up-to-date psychical research facility in the world uh, with Price as its director, the lab went on to become the University of London Council for Psychical Research. Um, <clears throat> Price had had a number of experiences himself as a boy. Um, he investigated uh, a rectory during a family holiday to Shropshire in which... Um, no, well, let me tell you, because he claimed to have blown up a ghost... So there's no blunderbuss in this. Oh, hang on. We blow, we're blowing up <coughs> ghosts now. We, Harry Price blew up a ghost. Yeah, when he was 15, <laughs> um, staying in Shropshire in a small village, uh, which he identified as Upton Magna, which, of course, it wasn't. That was a, a pseudonym he used for it. Um, he told the story in one of his books. He located the house in the village and um, while staying with the family, he heard about the ghostly goings-on at the, the directory. 
In fact, things had got so bad at the house that the owner and the wife had moved out. Now, this 15-year-old's curiosity was completely uh, over, overcome any fear that he may have had, and he persuaded the caretaker to allow him and a school friend to spend the night there. <laughs> According to the local legend, a rich, rich recluse had lived in the manor house years before and had strangled his niece. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> It was said then that, overcome by remorse, he took his own life. <coughs> Others claimed that the, it was the ghost of a mur- uh, the, the ghost of the murdered niece was uh, so terrified the man that he killed himself. Yeah. And whichever the truth may be, the old man had been found dead the following day, drowned in a nearby river. Ah. Whichever story yeah. is more true, young Harry and his friend took up their vigil, intent upon discovering the truth. Price took with him a camera and a homemade photo flash to illuminate the dark manor house. And it may be that Harry Price was the first and only person ever to blow up a ghost. <laughs> because, well, he, he, set, he set up the camera at the base of the stairs and he... It was wired to the flash, which mm. was in those days didn't use a bulb or a, an no. LED. Or it was literally a, power, a pile of gunpowder, which Price had mounted in an old um, cigarette box, metal right, cigarette yeah. box. So that when he pressed the camera shutter, an electrical spark caused this to flash, flash. and it would then illuminate the scene. So the two young boys are sitting themselves in the dining room, waiting for the ghost. And at the appointed hour, they hear the footsteps <laughs> approaching down the stairs. And they go, the step footsteps descended the stairs. And then they, at the bottom of the stairs, the footsteps paused. And then they heard a creak and the footsteps started to ascend the stairs again. At this point, Price presses the shutter on the camera. And he describes the flash being so intense and so bright that underneath the door to the room that the two boys were waiting in, they could see clearly uh, the flash was so intense, so bright. He said he also distinctly heard the ghost stumble. Okay. As the boys opened the door and the smoke, they waited for the, the smoke, smoke to, to clear, clear yeah, yeah. they discovered the camera was lying on its side. Mm. And of the cigarette box that contained the flash powder, there was no trace. No. Neither was there any trace of the poltergeist no, or the why. ghost that walked down the stairs. And he, he blew him up. He said, yes, am I the first person to um, blow up a ghost? ever blow up a ghost? So, uh, well, that was different, yeah. So, that was his first experience, anyway. He was having uh, it was so to bring him round to Borley, yes. Um, we just we'll just scroll forward a page or two because obviously I'm using notes tonight to make sure I get the date, Nate, the dates in this story right. Um, anyway, it was Tuesday, well, let's just forward to uh, Tuesday, June the 11th. 1929 mm-hmm. and Price was having lunch at his club when the maid called Harry to the telephone. The call was from the editor of the Daily Mirror who said that his newspaper had been called upon by the Reverend Guy Smith, who the incumbent of Borley, where extraordinary things were apparently taking place. 
When Harry returned to his office, he read the report in the preceding day's paper by the reporter Vernon Wall. Vernon had been up there, um, obviously, as soon as the, the, the newspaper got wind of it, they sent a, a reporter hot yeah. foot up to Essex yes. to find out what was happening. What was going on? And Wall described uh, the story. He told the story of ghostly figures of headless coachmen and a nun, an old-time coach... Uh, and his own experiences, where not very much happens. Uh, he interviews the servant who declared that she had seen the nun leaning over a gate near the house and stated that the villagers dread the neighbourhood. All of these visitations coincide with details of a tragedy which, according to local legend, occurred at a monastery which stood on the spot. And he goes on and on and on about it. Um, now, Price then gets in his car and motors the 60 miles up from from London uh, armed with his secretary um, and they arrive at the rectory the following day and after lunch uh, Price and his secretary began a minute examination of the rectory proceeding floor by floor beginning at the attic and the upper floors they recorded detailed measurements and details of every room and closet closing and sealing all the doors and windows as they left each room um, a procedure they followed on the ground floor and then down into the cellars. Price also interviewed Mary Pearson, the maid who claimed to have seen the phantom coach on at least two occasions, and he also talked to members of the Bull family, including two of um, the sisters of the Reverend Harry Bull. After a full day of exploring and interviewing, uh, which ended around midnight, the assembled party, Price, his secretary, Vernon Wall, the reporter from the Daily Mirror, two of the Bull sisters and the Reverend and uh, Guy Smith and his wife Mabel proceeded to the Blue Room where they held a seance. A series of short raps were heard from behind a wooden dresser and Price established a code of one tap for no, three taps for yes and two for an uncertain answer. By, by this method he established the identity of the spirit as being that of the Reverend Harry Bull. Mm. A series of additional questions were put to the spirit by Harry Ball's sisters and they were able to confirm the identity. The seance apparently lasted for about three hours and at some point a bar of soap was lifted from the washstand and thrown with considerable force whilst the sisters remained some distance away. The next day Price returned to London convinced that this case uh, required further investigation and that he would return to conduct a more thorough investigation. Over the coming weeks, he visited Borley several more times, amassing more evidence about the strange events. He interviewed uh, the Smiths several more times, members of the Bull family, and also a number of the villagers who added their own testimonies and accounts of the strange and unusual uh, phenomena that had been uh, reported there. More tales of the phantom coaches were collected, accounts uh, of apparitions, not only that of the nun, but also of an old man identified as being Old Amos, a servant who had died on the site years before. Uh, Price heard stories of Harry Bull had entered the crypt beneath Borley Church and discovered the coffins that apparently had been moved around, um, and also told tales of lo discovered tales of lost treasure. Mm, belonging to the treasure. there's always lost treasure. There's always the treasure. On one occasion during Prana Price's visits, uh, he himself witnessed showers of stones being thrown and later a shower of door keys. 
uh, which seemed to have come from all of the internal doors. And during another of his visits, he found several Catholic medallions, which he was able to identify as being of French origin. The Smiths themselves vacated the rectory within a year, leaving it once more abandoned and empty. Some accounts say that the ghostly activity had now become so bad that they simply couldn't bear it any longer, while sceptics say it was merely due to the poor state of the building. But nevertheless, Borley lay empty for over a year until the new incumbent, Lionel Forster, arrived with his ma ma uh, wife Marianne and their young daughter Adelaide in October 1930. Mm, so far, so we'll have some more music. We've got more there to read. We've got lots more to read, but oh, we're going to cool. have some music. No. Oh, all right, then. I'll just continue for a little bit. Yeah, more. this is Because really in October good. 1931, after an almost 18-month absence, Harry returned to the rectory at the invitation of the new incumbent, the Reverend Lionel Forster. Uh, the Reverend Forster had sent Harry a copy of a diary that he'd been keeping since shortly after they arrived the previous year. Upon reading it, Price immediately realised that things at the rectory had become as bad as ever, if not even considerably worse. Doors were found to be locked, the keys missing, trapping the family on occasion inside the rooms. The Reverend Foister had sometimes resorted to using a holy medallion to help him open the doors. And the diary kept by the Reverend detailed accounts of phantasms, the appearance and disappearance of countless objects, large and small, of furniture being broken and smashed, and of several failed attempts at exorcism. Disembodied voices. I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> there Bless we go. You. Oh, thank you. Disembodied voices were also heard calling to Foister's wife by her name, Marianne. The phenomena had continued unabated day and night since their arrival. And it also provided details of numerous other witnesses to the phenomena, including Sir George and Lady Whitehouse. Um, Price went to interview uh, Lady Whitehouse uh, and her son, who was a Catholic preacher, and they both vouched for the diary's accuracy and accounts and added some more of their own. Again, Price continued um, or renewed his visits and made several more and eventually concluded that whilst a great deal of the phenomena was, in li was indeed likely to be paranormal, a large number also could be related to fraud. Ooh. Either intentional fraud or unintentional fraud by Marianne. He voiced this opinion to the rector, who was so unimpressed by the suggestion that his wife was implicated, Price then found himself persona non gratis and, had, and was excluded from the site. Uh, so for a period of time, he returned to his other investigations and Ooh. we will return to Borley yes. after this.
Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters. Mm. The failed Ghostbusters from 2016. Mm. Should we continue with Borley Rectory oh, well, down in Essex? Rectory, yes. Because... We are on a new section. We are on a new chapter. Well, yeah, because um, Lionel Foister mm. and his wife had thrown out Harry yes. because Harry suspected Marianne of fraud. Yes. And Harry was now persona non gratis oh, yes. down at old Borley. In other words, he didn't want him there anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, um, there was a problem uh, with the relationship between Foister and his wife, and it led to them ultimately moving out. There was a bit of a menage a trois going on Ooh. as well. She was, um, she, we would describe it as <coughs> having mental health issues. All oh, right. So the rectory just lies dormant again. Mm. Everybody's gone. And the church authorities decided that they would try to sell it. Um, get rid of it, mm. combine it with uh, Liston Parish next door. And um, they decided the church approached Harry Price with the suggestion that he might like to purchase the building. Ooh. Um, but Price turned down their offer and eventually instead negotiated a one-year lease. Upon being granted the lease, he immediately set about organising a team of investigators. He placed an advert in the Times newspaper on May the 25th, 1937, um, and the response was truly phenomenal. Over 200 applications were received from cl street cleaners to counts, cranks and inventors, mediums and journalists all applied uh, for the positions of investigators on his team. Um, for this, mostly most of these price simply confined to the waste bin, but eventually selected about 40 people that he considered would be suitable to act as investigators for the coming year. One by one, he met them, and uh, he got them to sign a declaration form. Mm. And um, he also, for the very first time in psychical research, he gave them a printed book of instructions oh. for the guidance of those in his team who would be investigating Borley, or indeed any haunted location. The book had a blue card cover and contained the instructions, and it was issued only to those who had signed the declaration and contained information about the location the phenomena that may be encountered and what steps the observers ought to take. Um, what was also important is he warned the observers to be aware that not everything that they encountered was what would be necessarily paranormal. Their investigation lasted a full year and during that time the team of observers documented thousands of odd and unusual incidents, including the ringing of bells used to summon the servants, even though all the bell wires had been cut, Whoa. and the strange appearance of writing on the walls. One of the most peculiar was a particular spot just outside the blue room. Remember the room mm -hmm. in which Reverend Henry yeah. and later his son Harry passed away? Um, it had been marked with white paint by the investigators because it was decidedly colder than its surroundings. Mm. And Price made a series of detailed measurements of the area and discovered that at times it was up to 11 degrees colder on this spot than any Anywhere other point else. in the adjacent uh, <coughs> passageway. Now, the story continues to the present day, but we, we, we run out of time. But um, Price's deputy, Sidney Glanville, uh, had been working with Price for the entire year uh, and his wife thought that she had or said that she had psychic abilities and would often use a planchette and a Ouija board at seances that were held both at the, at the rectory and at Glanville's home in London mm. and by this means um, 
his wife claimed to have discovered the name of the ghostly nun, together with details suggesting that she had been murdered. The spirit of the nun gave gave her name as Mary or Marie Lair. Mm. <clears throat> At another seance, the group made contact with the spirit, with a spirit that called itself Sunex Amores. And this spirit said it would start a fire over the entrance hall and burn the rectory to the ground the following night, March the 27th, 1938. And that the bones of the murder victim would be revealed afterwards. The prophecy failed to come true. <laughs> And Price gave up his one-year lease in May of 1938. It was finally sold shortly afterwards to a Captain Gregson. However, on February the 29th, 1939, mm. close to 9pm and exactly 11 months after the prophecy, a fire started over the entrance hall when, an, when Captain Gregson knocked over an oil lamp. The building was gutted by fire. Now, that fire obviously devastated the rectory, but it didn't prevent the phenomena from continuing or investigators from visiting the the site in the hope of witnessing things for themselves. Um, Between 1939 and 1943, despite the fact that the building had now been burnt uh, and was just an empty shell, more than 20 other investigations were uh, conducted in the burnt-out shell and... Uh, They reported hundreds more um, manifestations and continued to report unusual phenomena, including the occasional sighting in the grounds of the nun. Mm. By 1944, it was decided to demolish the building and an excavation began in the cellars, overseen by Price. During these investigations, part of a human skull and jaw were found. They were sent for analysis and determined to be that of a young female. Mm. Mm, perhaps a murder victim. Now, Could Price be. wrote two books detailing the investigation. Mm. Um, the first was The Most Haunted House in England, um, and then the second was The End of Borley Rectory. And right up to the present day, activity continues at Borley, although it's shipped out across the road now Yeah, uh, to the church. All right. And it, even, even now to this present day, I will wager that there are probably people even now... Uh, stalking around the grounds of <laughs> Borley Church, getting themselves into trouble with the, the local inhabitants of the re- of the hamlet. Yeah. And coming to the attention of Essex Constabulary. Yeah. It's a fantastic place. You ought to go. Yes. Um, it sounds fun. Did they... You know when they had the fire? Mm-hmm. Did they actually find the bones of the murder victim? Were In the cellar the, were... They, they were the bones... Well, they found the skull. They found the skull. Skull and the jawbone. So, therefore, that, that could have been right. It, well, we you see this comes down to the first thing about before about how much do you take? Yeah, because it's next to a churchyard, the graveyard. It was ill-defined, so did they just inadvertently, you know, hit, yeah. hit or disturb a grave when they were de- when they were building the, yeah. the rectory? Nobody really knows. Um, but right up to the present day, you know, people still claim that. On the site and at the church, that people still claim to have seen and indeed claim to have photographed the nun. Mm. Uh, People 
have made recordings of unusual sounds inside the church. They see lights in the church, the sound of the organ being played in the I, locked I building. Said, we were talking earlier, and I was saying a mate of mine lives or knows mm -hmm. that area, and he was saying that it's also been stated that they see flames, mm -hmm. you know, coming from there. And that was actually reported just after the rectory first burnt down. Yeah. Uh, people said that they saw flames at the windows or lights at the windows yeah. um, as they were walking up and down the lane. So, I mean, I've, I've spent several nights there um, down the years, and it is, it is a fabulous. I mean, it's very, even today, it's still a remote location. Yeah. Um, although you've got the, the, the encroaching lights of Long Melford over in the distance, but it's, it has an atmosphere. And yeah. of course, it was investigated by, I mean, you, you couldn't begin to tell the, the, tr the full story of Borley Rectory, the most haunted house in the world, the most well known haunted house in the world. In, in a two hour, we'd need an entire day. Well, yeah. And even then we'd run out of time because it, it is such a vast and complicated story. And there's been so much that's gone on and so many people have claimed to have seen, heard, Oh, well, do you, remember, do you remember there's, uh, there's that chap from Haverford West, I can't remember his name now, uh, who claimed to wrote, write a book about the most haunted house mm. in Haverford. Well, if you put the two stories side by side, Haverford West doesn't shine a candle to Borley. No. Not even. It, it's they're not, The two of them aren't even in the same league. But, I mean, Borley's been going for well, years, it, it's, hasn't it? Well, even, even, even... Price didn't call it the most haunted house in England. That was the title of his first book. Yeah. It was already called the most... When Price arrived um, at Long Melford Station uh, during one of his early visits, he got the train up from London, and he, he, he got a cab to take him up to Borley Rectory. And he got into the cab and he said, oh, take me to Borley Rectory. Oh you, oh, you mean the most haunted house in England? So it was already known as It that. was known locally. The reputation preceded the yeah. building. Um, you know, you didn't need an author with a, a, an overactive imagination. No, because um, it was already there. To create, there. you know, uh, a hype around this. It was already there. It was already there and it's still going. I was going to say, it's still going on. Very much That's so. something we're going to have to perhaps talk about in the future is ghost investigations. Well... It's an area that I have a little... Yeah, this is why I thought, well, I might have to ask you. Yeah. You might know a little bit. Well, or you yeah. can just, you know, 40, up on it. 40 years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you won't say that. Um, well, I'm going to... I mean, it's coming to the end of the... I know. You know this has the, gone so quick. Yeah. So you're going to start getting dressed now and head off out into the night on your broomstick. <laughs> it's got it parked oh. up. It's on charge. And, of course, no episode of The West Files would be complete... Without... Without... Dedicating our closing track. I'm Ronnie. going home now. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye bye. This is for you. Thank you. Grandpa Shark Let's go
Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire, Pure West Radio. 